0: Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message.
1: You know, this is
0: an incredible week because it's a week right after
1: Resurrection Sunday. And often what can happen is, right, we go through Easter and, 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 and yes, we eat all the chocolates, put a couple of calories on and, and we stop, we reflect about what Jesus did through His death, His burial and resurrection. But then the week after, we can very quickly forget. What happened on Calvary 2,000 years ago, in that moment, when Jesus paid the price and He died for you, for me, He was buried and He rose again. It was at that moment that you, me, were forgiven. You know, Romans 6, 6 to 7 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, Paul, talking to the Romans in, in this context, is talking about baptism, that it actually reflects the very death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. See, on Calvary, the cross changed everything. So Easter is not just the weekend of extra public holidays, but it's actually the most important date on the Christian calendar. Because it was a date, as we heard brilliantly last week from Pastor Dan Bates, it was the moment that the curtain was torn from top to bottom. It was, a, it was that moment that no longer did we have to bring our own sacrifice. The sacrifice was paid on the cross, so we had full access to the Father. And so for those who believe and receive, as Paul says here in Romans, sin is no longer our DNA. It becomes a choice that we are freed from sin. The moment you receive Jesus in your heart, you are freed from sin. So it's no longer part of your DNA, but a choice. And that's what baptism represents. And in, and in weeks to come, we're going to be talking a little bit more about baptism. And if you haven't been baptized, we're going to invite you uh, to, to get baptized. What's the prerequisite of baptism? Receiving Jesus in your heart as Lord and Savior. Not about getting things right, but it's actually getting the way, the truth, the life in your heart. Therefore, then, the the cross equals forgiveness. Debt cancelled, the debt, the weight, the unpayable debt of sin wiped clean. What you have done just been nailed to the cross, Romans 5.8, for God demonstrates his love in this, that whilst you, whilst I was still sinners, Christ died for us, and so we come, we come along on that weekend, and, and globally we understand this, we understand that that's what Easter means, when people come to us, they ask us what Easter represents, we're able to articulate that message, but yet personally, many, many still struggle, they grapple with that whole idea of forgiveness, they grapple with the idea of one, being forgiven, but then two, being able to go and do likewise. The idea of forgiving others actually puts people off. You know, there are so many that are hurt and broken that walk through our doors. You know Even myself, when we first walked through the church, you know, as much as I'd love to say that I loved God, I still had bitterness in my heart that I couldn't trust the men, the women of God that were before me. It was something that I had to grapple with for many, many years. That I could easily receive the forgiveness of Christ and yet not easily give it. And so for the next three Sundays, I've really just felt challenged on my heart to speak into the area of forgiveness. And yet in my prayer time with God, I'm like, God, but this isn't the feel good moment. This isn't the kind of like that instant come in and, and you know what? This isn't prosperity gospel, God. But I felt what God said was that what's the point of having everything if you still carry bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart and can never fully appreciate the love, the joy, the grace of the gospel? And so my heart would be that what he shared over the the next three weeks will challenge thought process, will elicit dialogue, conversations, perhaps reaching out to people that you haven't spoken to in decades, but most importantly, would convict, not condemn would lead us back to the cross, would lead us back to Christ. And so the title of today's message is 490 times and then some. And so Matthew 18, 21 to 35 should appear. If not, follow with me. Uh, It's a bit to get through, so let's get into it. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, "I tell you, not 7 times, but 77 times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like the king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him, "Be patient with me," he begged, "and I will pay back everything." The servant's master took pity, some translations say compassion, on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. He st- instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison, until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told the master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you had begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray. Lord, heavenly father, I just thank you, God, that Jesus, you are the blueprint of everything, that everything that you teach, everything that you've taught, you lived when you were on earth, Father. And Lord, I just thank you, God, that you give us something that we can attain to through your Holy Spirit, Father. So I pray, Lord, that as I I share today, May it be your words through me, Father. May we have open hearts and open minds, Lord, to allow you to lovingly and gracefully minister to us today, Father. Go before us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, I I love Peter. Whenever I read the the Gospels, I love Peter because he is just a man who I think it, I say it, uh, I call it like, like lightning and thunder. He'll say something and then realize... What on earth did I say? And it sort of catches up. But I just love that he was just the real deal. And so when he came to Jesus and he asked him, his intentions were pure, because he was focused on doing the right thing. You know, wanting to you know uh, make amends and forgive people. But he wanted to go that extra step. See, the culture of the day was an eye for an eye. That was the law. You hurt me, I hurt you back. You know, and it's not so different to what we see today. You hurt me, you're dead to me, that's it, I move on. It's something that we see prevalent today. So he's like, no, 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 look, not only will I just forgive once, I think the saying is, fool fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. You know, I'm going to go, you can fool me seven times. Is that right, Jesus? I'll forgive him seven times. Thinking, yes, I got the brownie points. (laughs) And And I just love Jesus' response. No, 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 77. And I've upped it with my title. No, no, 70 times seven. It doesn't matter. What Jesus was saying, he wasn't actually teaching on mathematics. He wasn't giving an equation here. See, what Jesus was trying to point in this moment to Peter was that forgiveness is not about keeping score. It's about losing count. Hebrews 8.12, it says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Jesus doesn't hold your past against you. That's why when we say you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, declare that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That's what redemption is. Repentance simply meaning to look back in Jesus and surrender. And then Jesus doesn't hold that against you. So repentance is critical. But yet, unlike us, many of us, and I put my hand up first, church, we can hold on to hurts for decades. We can hold on to things that people have done willingly or unwillingly for decades. We can even go one step further and take out on the next group of people what someone did to us, even though they had nothing to do with that. We can get hysterical and historical. We can bring things up. I mean, how many of us have been in those situations when someone comes up and goes, hey, do you remember 15 years ago you did this to me? I'm like, I don't even remember what I did 15 minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> so not that that's an excuse, but you know, often what can happen is for 15 years, relationships can be broken on on a simple misunderstanding. We can punish people for the things that they are unaware of and take it out on others. And yet Jesus teaches us here that forgiveness is essential. He describes forgiveness in such a tangible example of the unmerciful servant. See, the illustration that Jesus uses is a practical one. It's one that was very easy to understand in the day and it's very easy to understand in this day and age. He put it into a, an example of debt, of money, things that were, oh, things that at some point many of us may have been in debt, whether it be small, large, um, you know, wherever it may be, but people that could understand the significance of what was happening here. And so he compares an offense to a debt that hangs over our heads. And so in this story, as we read there with, with what happened with the first servant, the very first lesson that we learn here is that we must never forget what God has forgiven us of. Yeah. See, the first servant, he had insurmountable debt. Let's put it, you know, let's try to sort of see exactly what it would be. It'd be around a million dollars. Let's just say he had a million dollars of debt and it was virtually impossible to pay that back in his lifetime. And so he was facing the prospect of losing his family, losing everything to pay a debt. He dragged them into something and he was ultimately going to lose them for a decision that he had made. So at his lowest point, what did he do? He fell at the knees of the ruler and begged for mercy, begged for forgiveness, begged for an opportunity to pay it back. He didn't even think about the whole idea of it being cancelled. He had that whole thing, look, just give me a bit of time and I will do what I can in desperation. And so at his lowest point of despair, the ruler looked at him and it says that he took pity on him. Or like I mentioned before, other translations, compassion. And so it was at that moment that the exchange was not one of... Punishment, but one of grace. And he forgave him of his debt. See, Paul talks about grace being the unmerited favor of God, which is not defined by works. See, at that moment, the ruler was willing to forego an amount of debt because he believed that this person deserved another chance. That he wasn't going to bring it up again, but he was going to release him so he could live a full life. And yet... The scripture doesn't give us a, an idea of what how long it was after but it just tells us it almost seems like he forgot immediately when he sees the second servant and he tells him again using modern day currency hey you still owe me 10,000 bucks so I've just had a million cancelled I've seen him you owe me 10,000 bucks and the guy just, same response, falls on his knees and starts to beg, hey, I'm sorry, I'm good for it. I'm going to work hard. I will pay you back. An opportunity of there to, 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 to break a, a cycle of what has been, an opportunity to pay forward what had been done. But there was no mercy. He punished the servant for something less than he had done. You know, what breaks my heart, church, is that this can happen to us. See, we can encounter the love and grace of God on one Sunday, but then the next Sunday we can judge the very person that walks through those doors for the way they dress, for the way they speak, for the way they act, forgetting that we were once there in that point in time needing God's grace. We can hold on to things. We can hold on at times where where people have come to ask for forgiveness. We can hold on in some way to punish Even if it's something that someone has done unwilling. You know, many a times where I've actually gone up to someone and just shared that I was a little bit confused or a little bit hurt by something that had happened or or having to forgive. I I would say probably, and I know that 70% of stats are made up, but I'd say about seven or eight out of 10 times is actually like my interpretation of what happened. You know, I once heard a, a preacher say that the worst thing is not what someone thinks about me. It's what I think they think about me. Yeah, that's, that's that's so I hear about that, look at that person, look how they look at me, and look how they talk about me, and we make this assumption, and they're sitting on this side going, look how they're looking at me, look how they think. <laughs> and we in essence doing the exact same thing, right? And we hold it on for 10 years, 20 years, and then we hold it on against their children and their children's children. Should, we don't associate with that family because of what happened in their grandparents' era. And we hang on to things that really are glasses of water that we make into Pacific Oceans. And yet we do it as though we have never done something wrong before. We hold things against people like as though I've never offended anyone before. Like somehow, you know, there's Jesus and then I'm right there. And we forget, oh no, I would never do that. And then you look back and look, I've done it probably too many times. The heart of this, like I mentioned, is not to condemn, but to convict. Let us never lose perspective. Let Let us never lose the empathy of someone else's journey. Let us never take out. You know, another thing that, that I hear and, you know, again, it breaks my heart. He's like, oh, I've been hurt that many times. So I'm not going to go and talk to that new person. But yet I think whenever there's someone that comes through these doors that is battered, that is broken, there is a family member or someone praying for their salvation. And God is like, I've got the person just for you. But that person is still hurt on what happened before. That they're not able to partner and be that vessel that God wants to use to bring salvation. It breaks my heart. Never, never let us lose the empathy that we were once broken in need of salvation. You know, the first servant had an opportunity to pay forward what he had received, but he instead decided to get payback. The result of his unwillingness to forgive meant that he received in equal measure what he gave. You now verse 35, this is how my servant father will treat uh, sorry, this is how my fa- heavenly father, not servant father, to a bit awkward. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. See, the punishment that the first servant inflicted ended up being the punishment that was inflicted on him. When we hold on to unforgiveness, when we want to see someone get punished, even when it happens, we're not happier for it. We still live with that bitterness and dissatisfaction of what's happened. So often what we want to see on someone else is what we have to carry in our hearts, in our lives. What we hope to see in them is what we have to live through. And I've heard this quite many, many different ways and I've got no idea who the original source is because when I even Googled it, there was like a hundred different people that have been attributed to this. So I've put anonymous, holding on to anger, forgiveness, bitterness, chucking the word there is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Look at this, I'm not going to talk to them today. And the whole time you just caught up on saying, are they feeling it today? Or we go and, 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 and sometimes go and talk bad about that person Somehow, and and what we do, and this is what breaks my heart, is that there are new believers that think that that's kingdom culture. And that breaks my heart. Nothing fruitful ever comes of it. See, the the, the paradox or the, the opposite of unforgiveness is joy. It's love. It's peace. And so joy and unforgiveness, they don't mix. It's like oil and water. You can't have both. You know, Matthew six twelve in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus tells us this is then how you should pray, he goes on to say in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. But then in 14 and 15, and this is often not mentioned when we read or we don't even, we overlook this scripture. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. See, God can't fully work a blessing in an unforgiving heart because in the corrosion of our heart, we can't can't see the full picture of what God is trying to do. We look at it through the lens of suspicion. We look at it through the lens of doubt. We look at it through the lens of what has happened before and we forget the very crucial element of what the gospel is all about and that's grace. You know, again, it, it's one of my favorite scriptures. It, it's no, I call it the, uh, the martini or the cocktail verse. It's usually used, and you'll see where I'm going with this in a 2nd uh, not promoting that here, guys. Cocktails uh, and nojitos for, for Camille. But Luke 6.38, this scripture is usually used in tithing. It says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. See what I mean? It's like the martini. Anyway. <laughs> For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And we talk about it in tithing. We're like, wow, so the more that I give God, the more that you will get, that I'll get back. But the verse preceding that, that's why it's important that God's word's our foundation. We read it for the context. Verse 37: Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven give and it will be given to you a good measure pressed down shake it together and running over will be poured into your lap with the measure you use it will be measured to you so forgiveness is not pretending nothing happened forgiveness you know as, as much i mean there's only one there's only one person that I, I truly believe can really forget what we have done and he was nailed to the cross two thousand years ago that's jesus christ so we can't go forgive forget okay you can walk all over me again it doesn't necessarily mean that but in the example here is that forgiveness is cancelling the debt for the ruler he would have still acknowledged there was a debt there he probably wouldn't have lended the guy money again but he didn't hold over him what he had done every time he didn't see oh he's the guy that i had pity on no He, he, he he empowered him and he released him of something he acknowledged that it was there but no longer we will not speak of this the hurt is real for many of us, the hurt is real. For many of us, the disappointment is real. For many of us, we've walked through these doors and people within the church that God had positioned to care for you and me have let us down. The hurt is real. We need to acknowledge that. But we, excuse me, but we must acknowledge that the grace of God is much stronger than any hurt that I carry. That the grace of God can break even the most severe chains of unforgiveness. And when we can acknowledge that, we can move forward. And that's what Easter is all about. On that day, on Calvary, Jesus is standing there and then nailed to a cross, looking at his detractors right in the eye, being the son of God, being able to jump off that cross and just bring like a hurricane of destruction. We read in Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Where he could have brought the hurricane of destruction, he brought the hurricane of love. And I always think about what Dr. Mike made and prophesied over this house. People will walk through these doors suspicious of church, but not suspicious of love. That is the love that will break the chains of despair and hurt in people's lives. See, Jesus lived fully human to endure what we would endure. And so everything he taught came out of what he lived he faced heartbreak, he faced hurt, betrayal by those closest to him. But with an intent to fulfill the Father's heart, Jesus was able to cancel, cancel culture. Let me say that again. Jesus was able to cancel, cancel culture. See, Jesus was betrayed. The very same people that on the Sunday, Palm Sunday, holy, 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 on that Friday were saying, crucify him. We want Barabbas, crucify him. And yet, If that didn't hurt enough, one of his boys, Peter, you know, the the 70 times 7 man, 77 times over man, looks him in the eye and says, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't even know this guy. Straight into the eyes of Jesus, looks him in the eye, one of his three, and he denied it. He said that he would always be there. Even in the hardest moments, we read in the verses preceding, when Jesus was handed over, When Jesus tells him, by the time that the rooster crows three times, you will deny me. He's like, never. And then he even went to chop off the ear of, you know, the the soldier. Now, I'm here for the long run. But when the chips were down, I don't know this guy. Have any of us ever had someone promise that they'd be there for you? Only when things got inconvenient for them or hard, they left. I think that'd be all of us, wouldn't it? But we're not in bad company because Jesus, as he died alone, looked that in the eye, but was still able to say, It is finished. No longer will that curtain separate me from the greatest creation. You. But Peter's response is really, really interesting. You know, I, and again, you know, I heard it and it sounds, you know, it sounds about right, but you know, again, we've got to get into it more in the word of God. But I once heard it said that Peter and Judas both did the exact same thing. They denied Jesus. One took redemption into his own hands and killed himself, and the other one went back to Jesus. What did Peter do? He went, the Bible tells us he wept bitterly. This is a man who regretted instantly the moment that he heard the rooster crow and he's looking at Jesus in the eye. He realized, man, I stuffed up. I said I would be there you know, and his heart sank and broke. And it tells us he wept bitterly. Uh, I, I know for me in my life, I've been in situations where I have wept bitterly before and the pain of the hurt that's caused, you know, just really just is in there. And I can only imagine him being there crying, if only Jesus, I have a chance to see you again. Because with the disciples, you know, they scattered. The Bible tells us it again. You know, Peter was one that we read that looked and, you know, denied, but it tells us the disciples scattered. They didn't know. I mean, they, they heard Jesus say he'll rise again, but they're living in the moment. We've got the benefit of hindsight, but in that moment, they don't have that. And I can only imagine him thinking, if only I get the opportunity to encounter Jesus again. And then we read in John 21, 15 to 17, where the boys are out there fishing. Uh, Jesus, hey, come on, boys, let's have some breakfast. You know, he brings Peter in there. He doesn't go, oh, no, this guy, don't talk to Peter. Peter tells you he's going to be there, but he's going to let you down. No, no, no. He goes, he he asked Jesus, sorry, he asked Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter, like, gets really hurt by this. He's like, Lord, you know, by the third time, you know all things. You know that I love you. At the end of that, it was settled. Jesus didn't hold what he did against him. If there was anyone that had an absolute right to hold any grudge against anyone, it's Jesus Christ. But he didn't hold it against him. He restored him. He redeemed him. He released him. And we read in the book of Acts that Peter went on to be one of the cornerstones of the early church. And yet we fast forward to today's age. We live in a cancel culture. We live in a cancel society. If someone disagrees with me, then you know what I tell everybody? Don't listen to that person. They're not from God. Like somehow I've been given the authority to tell them who's from God or not. Like somehow I've got no no plank in my eye, but I can point the specks in everyone else's eye. You know, what they say, what they believe... You know, uh, one of the things that, that, that and I'm going to the church because church is covenant family. One of the things that, you know, it saddens me is when I hear about, well, that church from another denomination, they're not from God. This is going to be the shocking moment. Do you know I grew up in a Baptist church? <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in a Baptist church. And I would hear, you know, oh, no, don't go to Pentecostal churches. And I, I talk to Pentecostals, don't go to Baptist churches. I received Jesus Christ in a Baptist church. Yeah, where the name Jesus is preached. As long as Jesus is preached, the gospel is preached. It doesn't matter whether it's Pentecostal, Baptist or whatever, but where Jesus is preached, there God is. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. But it breaks my heart that we live in a culture where we're divided against one another when Jesus didn't call us to go and condemn everybody else because of what church they go to. Sorry, I get passionate about that. (laughs) Because I catch up with people and they're like, oh, we need a fully Pentecostal guy. And I'm like, I, guess that's not me. I, don't, I wouldn't say I'm a fully Pentecostal guy. I'm just a follower of Jesus Christ. And I just go where he calls me. And in this season, he's called my wife and I to lead Numa West. We're going to lead Numa West with the same passion, the same love for Jesus Christ, whether he calls us to be a missionary somewhere in Uganda. Wherever it is, we're going to follow where God calls us. Good. And I would hope that that would be the same for you. We see it in the church that someone makes a mistake and we hold it against them. Someone has a moment of, 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 I wouldn't even call it weakness, of honesty. And we're like, oh, you shouldn't say that. Don't ever go to that church. Never listen to that person again. And yet, can you imagine if Jesus was here with us, literally in person here? I mean, he would have cancelled Peter in that moment. I'm pretty sure he would have cancelled me at least 10 times this week. <laughs> i tell you what. But yet, he didn't. He just asked Peter, do you love me? See, we must trust God to push through offense and fight. But not fight each other. Fight for the unity of one another because where two or three are gathered, there he will be. What does this practically look like? Again, one of my favorite scriptures that I love, you know, Matthew 18, 20. It's such a great one in prayer. You know, it says, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them. By, many fa- by, sorry, by my Father in heaven, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. I've got my glasses on, I still can't read. Um, <laughs> but like I mentioned earlier, context is so important. Because in the verses preceding that moment of unity, it says in uh, chapter 18, verses 15 to 17, If your brother or sister sins go and point out their fault, just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be stabilized by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. In other words, just walk, walk on by. But yet we live in a day and age where that person, you know, not even directly has offended me, and I've gone and say cancel them, don't even talk, they're not from God. And we don't even have that conversation with people. That really breaks my heart because, you know, we have an opportunity to be transparent. Now, hear what I'm saying. You know, there there will be moments where we have that opportunity to go and lovingly, uh, I guess, exhort someone. But we do it like the Word of God says. You do it one-on-one with someone. You don't go and tell someone else about what they said and skew someone else's opinion about someone. Because basically, and I'm just, again, going there because church is covering a family. I did say these next three weeks are going to be a bit heavy. (laughs) But the, the, the God didn't call us to go and cancel people out of heaven. God called us to go and preach, kingdom come, his will be done. So to actually uh, preach people into yeah. the kingdom of God. Yeah, so See, church is covenant family. And like any family, and I'm going to invite the, the band to come up. Like any family, we don't choose family. And, you know, we think, okay, I'm going to choose to go to that church. But where God positions you, it's because God strategically is putting you where he wants. And so I'll often say that, and if you're new here, um, you know, you often hear me say this, you know, when I get the opportunity to meet you. If this is the place God is calling you, fantastic. If God is calling you somewhere else, fantastic. Because Numa Church is not the only church in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is spread all around the world, and there are many incredible churches out there, but go where God leads you and go well. That's my heart. So we don't choose family contrary to popular belief. God is the one that positions the people that need to be here. But what we do choose is what Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ you've been forgiven. My beautiful wife says this a lot because I think I need to hear it a lot. But we need to listen to understand, not to respond. Before we confront anything, we need to think, Lord, is there something in my heart? See, I love the parable of the prodigal son because that's the beautiful, the most greatest demonstration of the love and forgiveness of God. In the moment that when he sees his son, he didn't say, boy, you spent all my money. No, come here. I've been waiting every single day to see you. Doesn't matter what you spend. You know what? What's lost can be made again, but I can never ever afford to lose you again. That's the example of forgiveness. Church, church, Let us not be a congregation that we sit among strangers for weeks and months on end. We're covered in family. We already have so much brokenness in the world for us to hold it against each other. Let's not hold on to the emotion without talking to someone about it. Now this is like the the newsflash, the point of the day. You will offend me and I will offend you at some point whether it be intentional or non-intentional. There might be something I say you don't agree with, even today or whenever, and it might be the same. But my commitment in my prayer every single week is that my love for you is much greater than what you can ever do to me. And my prayer every single week when it comes into the areas of offence, particularly with my wife, but with anyone, is that I will always start with the, the bank of forgiveness always in credit first. So if you hurt me nine times, I'll forgive you 10 times. Why? Because I started from that posture of forgiveness already, so no matter what you do, God loves you, and I love you. Let us not forget the 490 times that you and I have needed forgiveness, the bad decisions that we made, the relationships that actually, if we're honest with ourselves, it was actually our fault. We ruined that. Let us not forget the times. When we said, Jesus, I need you in my heart. And, and if you haven't made the decision, there'll be the invite for that later. But for those that have made that decision, let us never forget when we were rough as guts, if I can say it that way. We we're in the zeal and passion for what we experienced. Probably said a few things that were brash. I mean, I, we'd be here for another like two hours if I started saying half the, half the Peter things that I said in my life. I think i condemned everyone to hell after i received jesus i didn't understand the saving grace of the gospel what do you mean dinosaurs is not real you're going to hell you're going to hell and then i'm like jesus did i call you to go and make disciples or send everyone to hell it's true and then when i understood that for myself romans 5 8 that god demonstrated his love for me in this even when i was making those dodgy silly decisions in my life he died for me his credit his bank was already credited forgiveness he wasn't waiting for me to add up he already made that he's like i've made my move you make yours so let us never forget that in our lives let god's love unite and drive us even beyond our differences You know, I I finish with this example. I I often say this when we we have the privilege of marrying couples. It's an analogy that I use where I call it the five cent and the $50 note phenomenon, right? And and what I talk about is that if you think about every little offense that someone does to you as a five cent coin, over time it adds up and it becomes very, very weighty. It becomes almost hard to bear. But if you look at the times where that person has sowed value into your life and you compare that to a $50 note, Even if they offend you a hundred times, well, what weighs more? Five cent coins. But what's worth more? A hundred five cent coins is $5. A $50 note is still $45 worth more than that. But yet we focus on these little things that weigh us down and not deal with them. And we overlook that God actually positioned those people in our lives. He positioned us in their lives for a reason. And so I finish with this scripture. Let us be known as a church. That's John 13, 34, 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I'm going to invite everyone to be upstanding. You know, I know that these next three weeks are going to be very heavy. I, I, I feel that in my own life. I'm convicted by this. When I'm When I'm in that place preparing, I, I'm convicted of this so much. You know, and in fact, even in the lead-up to this, you know, the last few weeks when God put this on my heart, one thing that I did—and not because—it was more out of conviction. I never want to preach something that I don't do. But you know, in a, f- a few weeks ago, there were people that, in my life, had, had hurt me, and I hadn't heard from them in a while. And and I can be real. You know, I can be real with covenant family. But in the times of their despair, I was there. And in the times where I was in despair, they were nowhere to be seen. But I felt like God said, if you're going to preach this, you got to step out. And I just sent text messages and tried calling. And I just left messages, hey, checking, hope you're well, love you, God bless you, thinking of you, praying for you, you know. I messaged for about 10 people. One got back to me. But there is such, there is such a freedom in my heart because I know Jesus loves them still. And so I shouldn't hold anything against someone that Jesus loves more than I could ever love them. And I can't give up on them simply because in a moment of their difficult time in their life, maybe willing or unwilling, they made a decision. I can't hold that against them. And since I've done that, I tell you, there is such a freedom that I can say in confidence that my love for each and every one of you is greater than anything you can do. Because the love of Jesus Christ for me is far greater than anything that I could ever do good or bad. God loves me. He died for us. And so, what I want us to do is just bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. I've asked the I've asked the worship team to just lead us through this song Fall Afresh again. Because it really is only the Holy Spirit that can fill our hearts. And in this moment, I just encourage you to just pray and ask God to search your heart. Is there something in my heart? In weeks to come, we'll have a team to pray. but, But for now, I really do believe. That the conviction starts here, not I think this message is for John X over here or Mary. No, 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 God, search my heart. So we're just going to let the worship team minister to us and I'll come back and, and just pray in a moment.
0: Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior.